Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Wow, this is good. It's good to be back in a church where there's actually people in the church. And uh, we have them in other buildings too. Uh, people are listening in in the commons area. I heard there's a tent outside. I think some people are on the roof and in the bathroom. And, uh, uh, but it's just good to be in the house of God. Who would rather be here than the best hospital in town? Anybody? <laughs> and uh, if you love the Lord, would you praise him with all of your heart, soul, and strength? Come on, everybody. Yeah. Just great. Great. I am a Cajun from Louisiana, which basically means you're not going to learn anything, but you're going to have a good time. And uh, I'll eat anything that lives in a ditch. And uh, anybody like boudin and crawfish and frogs? Come on, man. There's a few Christians here. I love that. And, uh, but I, I tell you, I love this church. I would come to this church. It was just too far to drive. I, I live in Little Rock. It's just a little too far. I thought about it uh, because, man, this, the worship here, the teaching here, when you get to heaven, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and I just, I got to say that uh, my friend, Sean, who's going to speak to you tomorrow night, you don't want to miss it because he is so genuine. And I just love the brother. Just glad you, my friend. Thanks for not backsliding in 2020. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I got I to say that uh, there was several years ago, I had a chance. I was speaking to the chapel uh, for Dr. Billy Graham. And then he was still alive at the time. And, and so when I got through, and I, I was reminded of this, the youngs are here, my friends, and with their son, Ben, and uh, they said something about Dr. Billy Graham, and it hit me. It's wow. Uh, so as I was speaking, uh, afterwards, a lady came to me, and she said, Dr. Billy Graham would like to meet you. He, of course, he wasn't there. He was at home, actually dying at home. And they said, uh, he would like to meet you. I said, well, I'm for that. And they said, well, you can't. He doesn't feel good enough. I was like, why'd you even mention this? It's like a, the meanest place in the world, you know? And, and uh, she goes, but if he feels better in a few weeks, would you be willing to fly back and meet with him? And I said, yes. So a few weeks later, um, I got the phone call to go. So I, I flew in and was with my friend Dino. And, um, and so we were in a room and the lady said, it was nine o'clock in the morning. She said, he's taking a nap right now, like nine in the morning. And, uh, and when he wakes up, he's going to tell us if he feels good enough to see you. So I'm praying in the spirit like a crazy man because I want to meet him. Who would like to meet Dr. Billy Graham when he was alive? I mean, my goodness, you'll probably talk to him in heaven. It'll be cool. And uh, so she came around the corner. I'm trying to judge her face if this is good report or bad report. And she said, I just got off the phone with him. And he feels good, you can go and meet him. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we drove up to his house and we got there. There was no one there to greet us. And there was no, I didn't know what to do. So I'm looking around. And, uh, and I, 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 so I went to the door of this house and knocked on the door and there was no answer. So I just walked in and Dino was following me. I felt like I was robbing Billy Graham's house. <laughs> and so I walk in, Dr. Billy? You know, and I didn't know how you, what do you say? You know, Dr. Billy. 
And um, so finally we looked around and in the sitting area, there he was. And he said, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And so I went up to him and I, I'd rehearsed what I was going to say. And I said, Dr. Billy Graham, I was there in 1981 when you preached in Baton Rouge. And I saw your, your pulpit from that sermon in your museum. And in fact, when you had the altar call that day, I went to the altar call. I gave my heart to the Lord there, sir. And I wanted to thank you, but a question, how long did it take you to prepare your sermons? And he said, oh, it took me a lifetime to prepare every sermon. And I was like, this is going to be good. <laughs> so I said, and you loved your wife. How was the key to a good marriage? He said, well, just do everything she tells you to do. It's <laughs> like, okay, that's going to be hard, but I'll try that. And then, but here's, here's the constant thing. First of all, the first thing I noticed is I felt the spirit of God in the room with that man. And, uh, and I just appreciate the way he lived. You know, I'm, I think about, I think about the littles, the way that they, they just serve God. They, they want to live right. So when you're around people like that, especially after God has blessed them with a church like this, it's just so easy to get off track, try to be famous or just run after a lot of things, but to stay humble before God and love people and have integrity, hold the word sacred. Come on, everybody. This is a good church you guys are in right here. So, so I said, sir, how did you do this? You did so well. You, you ran this race well, because he just told us, he goes, I'm, I'm going to die. So, and, uh, and I said, how did you do it? And he goes, well, for some reason, when I was younger, I, I knew that my, my life would end one day. He said, I always lived with the end in mind. He said, so the whole time out there, that's why I didn't travel alone. That's why when I go, go to a hotel room, I had somebody to go and look in the hotel room first and just look around, make sure everything was right. And I, and I, was, I always had people check on me and I, I because I wanted to finish strong. I always lived with the end in mind because I knew the end was going to come. And now the end is here. And I'm just like listening. And Dino is asking questions. And then at the very end, I said, sir, would you pray over us? And this is the part that really got me. And he said, he goes, yes, I'll pray over you. But would you pray over me? And then I started getting a little nervous. Like, what do you pray? He just told me he's about to die. And do I pray that he doesn't? Do I pray that he dies earlier? Like, I don't know how to pray. And then I'm just being real with you. I didn't know. He goes, I'm going to die. I'm going to go see my wife. I'm going to die. And he goes, now pray for me. So I was like, gosh, how do I? So I just said, how do I pray for you? Smart, right? Cajuns are smart too. All right. And he said, and this is the part. Man, you got to get this. He said, pray that I finish this race and I don't lose my first love. It's like, you just told me you're about to die. If you don't make it, we're all going down. <laughs> what are you talking about? Pray. But I'm telling you, this last year, I was coning through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. You should read the book of Revelation someday. The Bible says you're blessed just reading it. I don't understand. I don't care. You're blessed now. You're reading it. And so it's, it's pretty much most of it. 
from around chapter four and five all the way to around chapter 19, all of it is about seven year period of time. Uh, but before that, it gets into the church and seven churches and the Lord, he looks at the churches. And, and, and so what I was doing, I was praying, Lord, which one of these churches is most like our church? And what would happen is he would look at the churches and he would say something incredibly encouraging to them. And then he would say something that he would correct them. Because this is the way Jesus is. He always tells you the truth and gives you grace. Grace can't be grace without truth. But truth can't be truth without grace. Are y'all even here tonight? So it's the way the Lord is. He's going to encourage you, but he's going to let you know where you have to make some adjustments. He did this with almost all of the churches. There was one church he had nothing really good to say. And there was another church he didn't have anything bad to say. And so... So I was saying, Lord, which one? Are we the one you don't have anything bad to say? He said, no, you're a lot like the church of Ephesus. So I went to read the church of Ephesus and was looking for the good parts. And it said this, and I think this is a lot of people in this room. I don't think this is necessarily this church, but I know it's our church. He goes, I'm so proud of you, the way that you persevere and the way that you work and the way you have endurance. And I also love the way you reject heresy. Like you love my word. Thank you for that. But this is the one thing I hold against you. He said, you don't love me like you used to love me. Like I've been paying attention. And I, and I miss you, and I want you to love me the way that you used to love me. So I want you first to remember that, like remember that. Some of you, it's been a long time since you've been in the presence of God or got up in the morning and hit the deck to seek him, finding worship and going to the word. And I just want to let you know what will get you back to that place is knowing that the Lord misses you. He, he loves it when you worship him. It's one thing when you worship and say, I love you, God. But it's another thing when you realize he enjoys it too. So he said to the church of Ephesus, go back and do what you used to do. Listen, I, I grew up in a church that was not like this. My story is pretty common. My, I grew up in a church that was very legalistic. It was very judgmental, like a few people I'm sure in this room. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned before, okay? They, they, they're not the ones. They will not raise their hand. Raise your hand if you ever lied before. All right, the ones that don't raise their hand, they're lying now. God's going to kill them. But, but they, think, they think that they're the best. And they never want anyone to Christ and no one likes them. And it's just, they're just, they're just, it's pitiful. All right. But we're all sinners. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Okay. Now I grew up, I grew up in this church and this is, this is kind of a funny story, but, but man, it was painful then. I, I grew up in a very legalistic church. Like it was a prerequisite to go to that church is you had to hate everybody in the city and everybody. The meanest person in that church was my Sunday school teacher. Her name, ironically, is Miss Hodges. And, uh, and, and so she said, she, she would always just, she hated her class. We were eight years old. And she hated doing it. I don't know why she did it. But the one she hated the most was me. And I know her finger was 30 foot long because that was the dimensions of the class. And I was always up against the back wall because she could touch me from across the room. And she would always talk about hell. Hell is hot, hot, hell is hot, 
she talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. <laughs> hell is hot. You're going to hell. You know that? Don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. <laughs> so that's my story. But here's the thing. Pretty good story, right? Funny now, but it, I'm going to tell you, uh, gosh, theologically, psychologically, I thought God hated me. I never knew that he wanted me around. We were over there worshiping the Lord and they were singing like a hymn that I, I think we used to sing way back in the day and had all kinds of things on the screen trying to get you to fall in love with the Lord and looked around the room. Everybody's here. Everybody in Dallas is here. And y'all are all worshiping the Lord because you love him, right? <laughs> but I think some of you know that he loves you. I didn't think God wanted me around. So when he called me into the ministry, it was like, it just can't be God. I always thought he wanted me out. I never knew that he wanted me in. And I just want to tell you, you're never going to enjoy your relationship with the Lord until you know how much he enjoys being around you. So what I'm going to talk to you about is one of the things that keeps us from being in that, that spot, that, that incredible place, because sometimes people hurt us. And there are mean people in this world. Raise your hand if you ever had been angry at anyone. Raise your hand. Don't, don't lie. We already cleared that up. <laughs> and then people get weird and, and mean. And, uh, and they, they do. And they hurt us and we get offended by it. So I want to talk to you about forgiving other people. Some, some of you in your lifetime have been physically abused. I've never been physically abused. But I've been a pastor a long time. And it's real, man. Some of you have been verbally abused, and I've never had that happen, but it's real. Some of you have been sexually abused. I've also never had that happen, but I have friends who have, and it's a real problem trying to forgive and work all that out. Some of you have been spiritually abused. That happened to me in a few different places in my life. And I just want to let you know that when there is tension and there is problems and there is aggravation and there is relational breakdown, it's very important that you understand this principle of forgiving others. Now, this is not going to be a sermon. It's going to make you want to shout at times. Uh, this is not going to be a sermon. This, in fact, there may be a tendency for you to think this sermon is good for someone else. But I want you to take this one personally because everybody is in on this, especially after 2020. Can I have an Amen. So I'm married. I love my wife. It was so easy when we first fell in love. I would write her poems and she would write me letters back and spray perfume on them. Young people, you can't get that on a text. And uh, y'all should try the letters, man. They are good. You'll smell. Woo, it's awesome. And when we fell in love, it was like, man, we're just so much alike. You eat food? I eat food too. You go to church, I go to church. Look at you, you blink. I blink sometimes. <laughs> I don't chew tobacco either. <laughs> at first, I thought we were alike, but I realized, wow, we're nothing alike. And opposites attract, basically, but then they attack. <laughs> One is an early riser and the other is a night owl. One is daring and impulsive and the other is cautious. 
One plays by the rules and the other's like me. What rules? I, I ain't looking. I don't, I don't even know what they are. One loves to talk and the other grunts. <laughs> One loves to spend money and the other's a tightwad. One loves to cuddle and the other's a porcupine. One has a strong sexual drive and the other is stupid. <laughs> oh yeah, dumb as a rock. They did a study on when men like intimacy and it was on days of the week to start with a T. Tuesday, Thursday, today and tomorrow and Saturday and Tunday. <laughs> One man, one man went on a date with his wife and he pulled into the driveway and he handed her an aspirin. And she said, I don't have a headache. He said, gotcha. <laughs> I just love that. So she was always a little moody, so he bought her a mood ring. <laughs> and when she was in a good mood, it would turn yellow. And when she was sad, it would turn blue. And she was in a bad mood, it would leave a big red mark on his face. <laughs> All right, okay, all right, but I want to talk to you about the word. Anybody ready for the word? Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter two and verse 10. I think that scripture's somewhere around. If not, you can just listen in. Anyone you forgive, I'll also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgotten or forgiven in the sight of of Christ for your sake. This is Paul talking. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. What is a scheme? Division. Please write this down. Note. God may never be more revealed in your life than when you forgive someone who is not worthy to be forgiven. The Bible goes so far as to say to love our enemies. Now, there are times when you're shocked and there are times when you are hurt. But I just want to let you know that we're not going to allow this bitterness to take over our heart. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. So with that in mind, uh, gosh, my son, my wife, first of all, my wife, you could ever meet her. You would love her. She is smart. She is pretty. She's fun to talk to. She's a peacemaker. We've had people leave our church because of me, but no one's ever left because of her. And uh, she, you know, she's just that kind of a person. And uh, you just want to be around her. Uh, but she, she likes, she, she eats healthy, you know. I told her, I said, babe, you're still going to die. I mean, even though barley green and all this stuff, you're still going to die. You're just going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. But I'm going with Reese's peanut butter cups. But I, but I noticed when, when, when Hunter was born, she goes, Rick, I, I, wanna, I know this is going to sound radical, but I don't want him to have any candy for his first year. He's never had any, so he won't miss it. Why not? I was like, well, seems like abuse. And, uh, but, <laughs> okay. So for a whole year, we didn't let him have. So it's his first birthday, okay? And so my family's there, and I said, okay, everybody, this is going to be amazing. We got some chocolate cake for my son, and we're going to bring it out. He's never had any chocolate. Video it. It's going to be awesome. His face, he's so cute. You're going to love this. And, uh, but bring it on out. Bring it on out. Video it. It's going to be good. And my dad raised his hand. He goes, 
It's not going to be the first time he had chocolate. (laughs) And I said, yes, it is. He's my son. I'm keeping up with all this. He goes, oh, no, I've given him chocolate a lot of times. He said, but I do think you should video it because his face lights up. You're going to love it. So I was like, man, man, my wife looked at him like he was the antichrist. So with that in mind, I want to talk to you about forgiving other people. Jesus was on the cross. I want you to think about this. We call it Good Friday, but it wasn't the best Friday for him. Unless you know what he was aiming at, forgiving you. Okay, so here he is. They're hurling insults at him. He's, he stops for a minute from dying just to, to forgive the thief on the cross. Think about that. In one of his prayers, he's real honest with the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's got these things going. He had seven last statements on the cross. Things like, I am thirsty and it is finished. To your hands I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, he's, he's asking John to take care of his mom. He's praying for children and uh, all kinds of things. And, and okay, I, I, I threw that one in. But in the middle of it all, he's, he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I was reading about the Roman historian Cicero. And he said when people were crucified back in those days that they would, they would be yelling, screaming, cursing everyone. So it was extremely common for them to cut the tongue off the person that was being crucified just so they would shut up. Well, not Jesus, man. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Listen to me. You're never going to understand the importance of forgiving other people if you don't know it was not the nails that held him to the cross. He could have come down. It was his love for you and his desire to forgive you, to be in a relationship with you. You could have never paid this debt. There was no one who could. So with that in mind, it was one time in Matthew chapter 18. I just want to read. We're going to pick this up. I'm going to teach you and we're all going to learn. This is going to help us. In verse 18 or chapter 18 and verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And he throws in the term seven, up to seven times. Now look here for a minute, all right? What was going on here is Peter was trying to impress the Lord because most rabbis in that time, I was doing this study on it, and most of the rabbis during that journey and during that period of time, I should say, uh, they, they would teach you have to forgive three times. Okay, now Peter doubled it and added one. And so he was trying to impress the Lord. Like, how many times did I have to forgive? Seven? This is what happens. We forgive a little here and there. And it's like, Lord, I forgave seven times. I'm doing good, huh? So he's asking this about the Lord. And the Lord looked at him and he said in verse 22, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, the Lord wasn't telling you 
and telling them and telling Peter and telling us now that you have to forgive a certain amount of times because if you're keeping track, you haven't forgiven at all. There's no limits to forgiveness. But Peter was confused. And in fact, in verse 23, Jesus broke out into a parable. And this is what I want to talk about. And this is why we're here. In verse 23, he says, okay, Peter, I can see that you don't get it. He probably looked confused. Like, what are you talking about? I got to forgive 70 times seven. And Jesus said, all right, I I know you don't understand. So he breaks out in this parable. He said, therefore, there's, there's this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, talk about a weird time, man, all of this strange. And his wife and his children, all that they had be sold to repay the debt. By the way, 10,000 talents, you need to know in today's monetary value, you need to know what this is. This person's not making hardly anything, uh, probably barely surviving. And now he owes 10,000 talents to this person who could just ruin his life. How much is this? It's the equivalent of $12 million today. So if you could write that check out right now, uh, then it's way above that for you. Because the point is, it was a debt that he could never pay. This is huge for you to know. He could have never paid it. So he did what we do whenever we reconcile with our Lord because we have a debt that we can't pay. And so look what happened. The servant fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me. He's begging and I'll pay everything back. He just, he's trying everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. If you remember the moment that you bowed your knee to the Lord and said, Lord, will you become my savior and forgive me of my sins? Would you praise his holy name right now in this place? Come on, all of us together. If you remember that. All right, so let's talk about this. Why should we forgive other people? Because sometimes people make us mad. Driving slow in the left lane on the interstate many things that happened, the tension that happened this year, the racial stuff, the pain that people inflicted on one another, just nothing like Jesus would want. But in number one, remember this, I've been forgiven by God. Most people don't completely grab that. I'm just want to talk about this for a minute. If I were to pull you into an office somewhere, because I'm a pastor, I don't pastor as good as, as Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff, you can tell when someone's a good pastor because if 99 people are doing well and one is hurting, they're thinking about the one. And I'm with that man and he sees that somebody's hurting or off track or whatever. Uh, he wants to talk. He wants to pray about it. He wants people strong. I love that about him. So I just want to let you know uh, that the, the biggest problem that people have as I've pastored through the years is condemnation. I told you about my Sunday school teacher. I thought that I wasn't right with God, that God hated me. My parents went through a divorce when I was in the seventh grade and it hurt. And my dad, he just, I knew he loved me, but he did not like my mom. And I wrote a note and I put it on the door, uh, on the, the steering wheel and I closed the door and just put it there. And my dad packed his bags 
and he's yelling out, I'm leaving. I don't know if I'll ever come back, but I knew if he saw a note from me that he would stay. I put it on the steering wheel. My dad got in the vehicle and he rolled down the window. He grabbed that note and he crumbled it up and he threw it and it hit me in the chest and fell to the ground and my dad left and I didn't see him for 12 months after that. And I just remember the heaviness. And, but because I grew up in a church that was so condemning in the word, I thought it was my fault. I thought the reason why he left was because God hated me and I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And so I love the scripture in Romans chapter eight, verse one, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation. You ever see the word therefore, you need to know what is therefore. And the reason why this is there, because before that, Paul was saying, listen, here's my life. I'm trying to do what is right. This is some of you right now. I'm trying to live for God. But every time I try to do the right thing, I end up doing the wrong thing. I want to do what is good, but I end up doing what is evil. What's going on? It's like a war, raging war in my mind and making me a prisoner of death. Who's going to rescue me from this? He goes, oh, thanks be to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Next chapter, next verse. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I were to pull you, hold on. If I were to pull you into another room and I were to, to ask you, what is the difference between condemnation and conviction? Most people do not know the difference. And there is a huge difference. Condemnation shows up. If you don't get this, you're going to struggle forgiving other people. A lot of our tendencies to reject forgiveness toward others is because we haven't even forgiven ourselves. And then we don't think God still loves us. When you blow it, let's say this week, let's say last Thursday, you lied to someone or you lost your temper. Okay, in that moment, condemnation shows up on the scene and says, see how you are? You say you're a believer, you're not a believer. Look at you, you can't even, look how you act. You, and it, it, you remembered it during worship earlier. It's like, man, the Lord is here. I haven't been to church in a while. This is amazing. Oh yeah, I'm not really strong in the Lord. I blew it up. I lied this week. Condemnation. It's from the enemy, Satan, and it, what it's trying to do is keep you there, trying to keep you from growing. Let's look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not like that. The Holy Spirit, he gives conviction. Like uh, theologically, you can't repent when you want to. You can only repent when the Holy Spirit convicts you. Like, oh my God. And then you're drawn to the Father. I, I just love the Holy Spirit because he shows up on the same scene where you lied, but not to leave you there to die. But his number one goal is to bring you to the father. He's like an anesthesiologist before the surgery. He's a comforter. And so he says, like, I see it. See how you're struggling with that? Come on, let me show you some of the word. Let me show you the Lord. Come on, come on, come on over here. Come on over here. But condemnation is what usually rules me. So my question to you is, if you had just been forgiven $12 million like this man we just read about, do you think that you would be excited and happy about like that? You're about to go to prison or be sold into to, to difficult situations. But the, the person who you owe it to just says, never mind, it's all right. You're forgiven completely. Do you think if that happened that you would just run out of the room and go like, this is a great day. I won the lottery. 
Well, let's see what this guy did. He left that room. And in verse 28, it says, but when the servant went out, the man who was forgiven all of this, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, how much is that? He was just forgiven 12 million. And now he sees somebody who owes him a hundred denarii. How much is that? Isn't that a hundred million dollars? It's not a hundred dollars. It's 17 bucks. So let's look at this. So he found somebody who owed him a hundred denarii and he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Because Roman law said you could choke someone who owed you money. Let's bring that one back. I'm ready for that one right there. (laughs) So he's choking him. And look what he says. Pay me back what you owe me. He demanded his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me. It's like a repeat performance. This is what he just did. Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. My goodness. Why would someone who was just forgiven $12 million then see someone who owes him 17 and run over and choke him and throw him into prison because they couldn't pay it? I'll tell you why. It could be because he didn't really believe that he was forgiven. Maybe he thought he had to pay it back 17 bucks at a time. I don't really know the reason, but I do know that when you walk around, not in freedom from the Lord, I love the story of the lady who was caught in adultery. You can see the religious minded people versus Jesus. And they had the same goal in mind, but different routes. This lady was probably naked. She was caught in adultery. And the Old Testament said that she would have to be stoned in the city streets. Not stone, 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 but stone, a lot of pain, stone. Dead, rocks up against her body, her head, killing her. So they threw her. They're like loving it. Like they're so glad the religious people are so thankful that they found someone to destroy who wasn't good enough. But what they're really working on is trying to entrap Jesus. So they took her and they brought her in and they threw her at the feet of Jesus and they're trying to set him up. And they go, okay, uh, you know what the law says. So what do you think we ought to do? Uh, You know what the law says. And Jesus is so cool. How many of you love Jesus? I mean, you just love, and he's so cool. And he says this, he goes, okay, yeah, we got to kill her. That's what the word says. Always agree to the word. He said, but let's do it just like this. Let's let the one of you who has no sin throw the first rock. And then he wrote on the ground twice. Billy Graham said it's the only sermon that Jesus ever wrote. (laughs) But as he's writing, we don't know what he wrote, but wouldn't you want to know what he wrote? (laughs) Just have thought about it. So he's writing in the ground and they're just dropping rocks, dropping rocks and then going away. I'll tell you that the part that's interesting to me 
is the very people who should have just fell down on their face before Jesus. They're always the people who just walk away. So now, now this lady, is, she, she was having a really bad day. And now all of a sudden it's getting better. But she didn't know maybe Jesus throws good rocks, hard rocks. So she's looking at him like a cow looking at a new gate. And Jesus looks at her and she said, ma'am, where are those that condemn you now? They gone. But you still here. Listen to this. And he said, and neither do I condemn you. Now I want you to go and sin no more. Okay, very, very important. There's no chance that that lady went back into a lifestyle of sin because nothing can compete with being that close to the Lord and being forgiven. Unless she went away and started thinking, they're going to still come and get me. I still, I'm still in trouble here. I'm going to tell you right now, you're never going to serve the Lord with all your heart until you know how amazing he is at forgiving people. And he is so good at it. And I love the way that he said, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. There's truth in that and grace in that. So let's continue with the story. And by the way, what happens with condemnation where it usually lands, some of you are dealing with it right now. And I'm trying to help this church right now. Some of you, it happened last year. Some of you, years ago. But when I tell you that the Lord forgives you, this is what, this is, I've had you in my office. I've tested this out. And you say, yeah, I think he loves me. That's for sure. But there's one or two things that I've done in my life, and I don't know if he can forgive me for those things. And that's when you live backwards in time. It's like, I know he loves me, but not these one or two, these one or two things. I don't know if he can forgive me for those things. And when that happens, it's a lot like you're saying, I'm so thankful for the cross, but it wasn't enough. And Jesus goes on to say in one portion of scripture that when you live that way, it's like you're crucifying me all over again. So let's believe that he can forgive. Can I have an amen on that? Number two, resentment, it doesn't even work. It's just hurting you. I've already said it's like drinking poison, expecting someone else to die. But Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. So let's go back to the story. The king is livid in chapter 18. In verse 33, he says, you shouldn't have had, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. The man was so frustrated because there wasn't forgiveness given. Look at this scripture in Job chapter 21 and verse 23. Some men stay happy until the day they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. Job, it says, to worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish thing to do, a foolish and senseless 
thing to do. It's like a self-imposed prison. Number three, forgiveness given is forgiveness received. And this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. The Bible goes so far because the Lord knows what happens to you when you start keeping score on those who have hurt you. And he goes so far as to say, if you want to have more forgiveness, then give away more forgiveness. But the reason why a lot of people, and I'm just going to stop right here. I have a lot more in my notes, but I, but I, I want to talk about this. The reason why people don't forgive is because they think they then have to trust. Because there's a slogan that we all use. You have to forgive and say it louder. Forgive and okay. There's not one verse that says that except for the Lord looking at your sin. He forgets. We have to forgive and remember. So how in the world do we do that? A lot of times people say, because in order to know what forgiveness is, I, I need to tell you what it's not so you'll know what it is. Forgiveness is not trust. Trust may be re-earned over long periods of time, but forgiveness is given instantaneously. But I will tell you, if you don't understand the power of his journey to forgive you and build a relationship with you, then you're never going to turn to him. You're never going to worship him. And I've lost some of the best believers in my life, my friends, pastors, young people, older people, because they just got into this place where they didn't feel like the Lord still loved them. And then they got bitter at other people and they started keeping score and they started getting mean and vindictive. So I'm going to close this out by telling you about my grandmother. My grandmother, her, her name is Momo B. She's a Cajun lady. She dog like that. How you doing? Yeah. Cajun people are so fun. And so uh, I'll call her on the phone and she'd say, hey, Rick. She, she would answer the phone. Jesus loves you. I know that for sure. She would lead more people to the Lord by accident than most people can deliberately. she just walk through the grocery store and win people to Christ because she loved everybody. Giving them money and all that too don't hurt. And, uh, but... And she was poor. And so my grandmother, she prayed us into the kingdom. She would encourage me when I felt like the Lord was mad at me. She, when I felt the call of God on my life, she was the first person I told. I went to her house and said, Mama, I got to tell you something. I don't, I don't understand it, but I think the Lord is asking me to be in ministry. And I know I'll stink at it. Why would he pick me? I still don't understand why he picked me. But I'm confident because I know he did. But I don't understand why. Seemed like a bad pick. But I know he picked me. But it's a bad pick. But I know he picked me. Are y'all traveling away? Okay. So I went over there and she said, oh, Rick. And she just prayed over me in the spirit. Oh, Rick, I just know the Lord's going to use you. The hand of God has been on you all your life. You've been running. Just serve him. He loves you. So I'd always sneak over and spend time with her. And she'd open up the word. And as I got to know her, I realized a lot of pain happened in her life. She was abused. She was, she was just so in love with Jesus. She never told me about those things. I heard about those things from other people. 
So I brought it up to her. Oh, yeah, we was having a bad day that day. But Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. So when we went to plan our church 20 years ago, I started getting nervous. And uh, because the Lord will never ask you to do something that's cake. He'll only ask you to do things that are intimidating. And so I'm trying to plant this church. It's 30 days before our first service. And my grandmother was alive, but she was dying with cancer. Okay, so I called her on the phone to ask if she would come to the first service. This is how this story went. Jesus loves you. I said, hey, mama, that's the way she said hello. I told you that earlier, you forgot. And I said, mama, it's just Rick. She called me Ricky. Don't even think about it. She did, not you. <laughs> and she said, oh, Ricky. I said, mama, I know you don't feel good, but I'm starting our church on February the 4th at 10 o'clock in the morning. If you could come in like a little before, I'll, I'll send somebody to get you. And you could come in and just pray over me. I think it would really help me. I, I, just under a, I just need you to pray over me. And she said, oh, Rick, I cannot do it. I, I'm dying with that cancer. I, I, I can't come, but I'll, and I didn't want her to feel bad, so I interrupted. I said, it's okay, Mama. You can pray from there. Oh, Rick, I'll pray from here, Ricky. <laughs> so fast forward 30 days and she was still alive and I was so thankful for that. And I knew she was praying for us that morning, February the 4th. Cars were starting to pull into the parking lot. And, and I was just like in a war, man. And a few minutes before the first service, there was a knock on the door. And I said, come in. And they opened that door and it was my frail 80 pound grandmother with the biggest smile on her face. She said, oh, Ricky, I just had to come. So she walked over to me. She put her arms around me. and She prayed over me. And I felt the presence of God, man. In fact, I still do. But I often have thought, what if Mama would have remained a bitter old woman? Just mad at everybody watching the news every day, reading social media posts, and trying to figure out who she hates and who she likes. She didn't do that. She kept her eyes on Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of bezets and we are crazy. And we're serving the Lord and God is with us in our marriages and our children. And I know it's because my mama decided somewhere along the way she was going to serve Jesus with all of her heart, just like Billy Graham, who lived with the end in mind. And that's a better way to live. But Paul said, you were running this race well. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? So, this story in 2 Kings where this young man was cutting down a tree and he lost his edge. And when he lost his cutting edge, he looked at a man of God, Elisha, and he said, hey, I was cutting down this tree and I lost my cutting edge. And what Elisha said is so powerful. So I'm saying it to you. It's not my idea. I got it from Elisha. 
He said, where did you lose it? Like you, you were cutting, you lost it. Where did you lose your edge? And he said, I'll show you. And he went and showed them and they got it back. So my question to you is, where did you lose your edge? When did you start getting a mean spirit and always mad at people and from the first book in the Bible the Lord said look you can eat from any of these trees this fruit I've created it for you I just want to walk with you in the cool of the day but I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it was not an apple tree it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they ate from it and then their kid killed another kid they started blaming one another it was just like it's just a horrible life till Jesus came around for us to live in the cool of the day again, walking with him and knowing him. And by the way, if Adam and Eve would have been Cajun, we'd have no problems because they would have never eaten an apple. They would have eaten a snake. Ah. It solved everything right there in the beginning. Some of you hadn't walked in the cool of the day in a long time, man. And you don't have an edge. And there's just a lot of vibration when you swing. And you want to see some chips fly again. So this is your night. Maybe the whole conference was just for you to, to forgive and walk in freedom with Christ. With that in mind, let's bow our heads. No one looking around. I thank you for having your hand on this church. Something about this church. There's just something about this church. I thank you for it. I thank you that I have friends that have moved to Dallas and found this place. Thank you for that. But Lord, I know that there's people that are weary here. Some of us have gotten into some places and we look so much like the world now. We talk like the world, we act like the world. We yell like the world. We post like the world. But we're no longer on our face before you. We've lost our first love. So Lord, I ask that you give that back. Because we're desperate for you. And none of us are, are perfect. There's not one that is righteous. No, not one. We've all fallen short of your glory. But Lord... We want to serve. We want to walk with you. We want to keep in step with you. We want to know you. We want to grow. We want to mature. So around this room, if you've lost your edge, it might be directly related to your thoughts about mistakes that you've made, but it could be because of sin, others who have hurt you. And you just want to give it all to Christ, your whole life, and all of that. If that is you, then quickly raise up your hands. Come on, all across this room, there's people everywhere. Hands, hold them up higher, higher. Come on. The Spirit of the Lord is delivering people as they raise their hand. He's setting you free. He's taking away the bitterness. He's taking away the anxiety. This is our year. We're going to serve God. It's a year of jubilee. We're taking back everything that's been stolen from us. We are free. And when he sets someone free, we are free indeed. Come on, anybody else, keep your hands up. Anyone else? I, I need, I need the Lord. I want the Lord. I want my edge. I want to serve him. So 
all around this room, just go ahead and stand up, everybody, everybody, whether you raise your hand or not, everybody, and, and just lift up your hands to the Lord like, like we did earlier. My pastor used to teach me that just picture when you lift your hands up. And by the way, it is biblical. Uh, the Bible asks for us to do that with, without wrath or doubting it. And just to lift our hands to the Lord. I don't know why he loves it, but he's just into it. It's like you're reaching up for him like a, a little kid. And, and my pastor used to tell us that when you do that, just picture like the glory of God trying to fill you up. In the early church, they were filled with the Spirit. Then they were refilled with the Spirit. They were continually filled with the Spirit. And some of you are just in like you have no fuel you have nothing to work with and the glory of God wants to pour into you and show you that you 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 matter and that he wants to work with you and walk with you and to know you by name Lord please forgive us of our sin we're just so sorry Lord that we get up in the morning and we we just remember who hurt us before we remember that we hurt you and Lord we think about how some people have hurt us, but there are people out there who need to forgive us. We don't think about that. Forgive us, Lord, of our sin and those that we've hurt. Forgive us, Lord, especially those that we've even forgot about it and they're still hurting somewhere. Thank you for the old rugged cross and the way that you went all out on that cross to reach us and the way you died, and then the way you rose from the dead, and the way you've given us your name, and your spirit, and your church, and eternity, and joy. Lord, I thank you. From now on, we just serve you with all of our hearts, Lord. We're not looking back. We're not going back. So we know that we believe in your name, but we want to serve you more now than at any other time. We do not want to leave our first love. In Jesus' name. Now listen, everybody here, we're going to worship a little more. Uh, I don't know if we could just go right back into that right now. But I would. but some of you couldn't worship earlier because of condemnation, because of anxiety, because of pressure, bitterness. And now I want you to see the difference. It's about to get good up in here. All right? So let's serve him. But before we do so, Let's praise him like we love him because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And he is amazing. And I thank you for letting me talk to you. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.